Hello, everyone. You're listening to Cat and Sam, and this is Off the Ice, a Ball Talkers affiliate, a show where we cover all things hockey. Good morning, everyone. The third round of the NHL playoffs start this week, which means we'll have to talk about it, but also the fact that the offseason is just on the horizon. Oh, yeah. And you guys, this offseason is going to be crazy. Not only are there UFAs all over the place, which we are going to be talking about and breaking down, but also the Seattle Kraken, their expansion draft. You guys, there are going to be players moving all over the place. This offseason is going to be wild. And Kat and I are talking a little bit about where we think it's going. So make sure you stick around with us. We're going to be talking about that second half of the episode. And of course, we have our hockey community highlight, which this week is all about local LGBTQ plus teams around North America and Pride Tape. So it's a double whammy. This is a super exciting week of stars too. So let's get right into it. Sam, who was your first star? So my first star this week is easily going to the New York Islanders, but kind of the whole team. But I'm really mostly talking about goalies because according to the NHL public relations Twitter, The Islanders are now the third team in the history of the league to have two different goaltenders post win streaks of four or more games in the same playoff year. I mean, oh my goodness, Varlamov and Sorokin, like absolutely killing it. I mean, I think they've been an incredibly crucial part of the Islanders' success, and I don't think they would be here in round three without them. Yeah, I mean, we will talk about the New York Islanders a little bit more in detail as we go through our round three previews. But I mean, I totally expected you to bring out some like fun stat. No one's heard. Also, the fact that you had to highlight a New York team because we didn't talk about the New York Rangers this episode. I guess, although I guess we're like we're name dropping them. We got to put them in there somewhere. I had to get New York's name in in some way, you guys. In some way, my first start. I'm so excited about this. I know you've seen it. I've seen it. Everyone has seen it mm-hmm. all over social media, and rightly so. Taya Curry became the first ever woman to be selected in the Ontario Hockey League draft. She's a goaltender selected by the Sarnia Sting with their 267 round 14 pick. This is incredible for a lot of reasons, obviously. Uh, The main one being the OHL is the number one development league in the world Mm -hmm. in providing players to the National Hockey League. This is a really big deal, not only for Taya Curry, but also for... I mean, everybody in the hockey industry, this is exactly the kind of stride we like to see plays. This would have meant the world to me as a child, just seeing women and girls in sports in really visible and high-level positions. This is absolutely insane in the best way possible. I am so excited about this. Sam, this is amazing. I mean, what an awesome first star kind of blows mine out of the water like I'm not gonna lie look at us giving all our stars to goalies so far we love that we love the goalies but I mean I mean groundbreaking it's gonna be groundbreaking for women it's incredible and I know I will be watching her play wherever I get to do that and I am just so excited for the sport you guys I think I say this all the time so I'm, I'm sure I sound a little like a broken record but women have been here And it's kind of time for other people to see that. And the more we see them in spaces like this, the better it's going to be for everybody. So Kat, that was an awesome first star. I'm honestly kind of jealous. I didn't think of it myself. But moving on to our second star, we got to talk about Dougie Hamilton. Okay. Dougie Hamilton, 
for the Carolina Hurricanes. My boy got, you know, kind of whooped in the second round of the playoffs. Not him specifically, but the Tampa Bay Lightning came in and said, nope, you guys are done. Five games. To which Dougie Hamilton sounded bitter and a little petty as hell, which I, I love it. I'm here. Again, it feels like we're talking about reality TV, but he said, quote, we had a great season. We lost to a team that's $18 million over the cap or whatever they are, end quote. And then followed up with later, quote, I feel like we played them pretty close, end quote. So, Dougie, what are you, what are you saying? You're going to get you in some trouble, my boy. I mean, I don't know. I honestly thought it was hilarious. I thought it was pretty funny. I'm sure there, there are a lot of guys who work at corporate who thought it was way less funny, but shout out Doug. I thought that was funny. Somebody in the PR teams is upset, but I, I bet you anything. There are so many people who agree with them. And it's always nice to see a player be candid because that doesn't always happen. So Dougie Hilton, good for you. Did you see what Kucherov answered, by the way? No. What did he say? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, he Cooch answered. I think it was on June 11th. He said, quote, I didn't make the rules with the cap. It's not me. I didn't do anything on purpose. I had to do the surgery. I had to go through the whole five months of rehabilitation. And when that time and when the time came and I was ready to play, I was playing. End quote. All right, Nikita Kucherov. There's been a lot of people on uh, Tampa Bay's case. Although, again, I'll say this. Whatever decisions about the cap that have been made were obviously not made by the players. Nikita Kucherov, it ain't your fault. We know it ain't your fault. Yeah, um, we know, buddy. It's okay. And, and it's not illegal. But, you know, um, it does raise a lot of eyebrows, and clearly Dougie Hamilton was was giving it the side eye. Second star, you know, mm-hmm. surprise book. It's, it's not that interesting, and it's kind of a short pick, but I was just like, why do we care about this, mm-hmm. you know? Um, Toronto media is super funny because they love and hate their players so desperately and then they also, you know, you made that reality TV comment. I feel like sometimes with Toronto media, they treat their hockey players like reality TV entertainment, which totally. means that there will be things that pop up on like a TSN or a Sportsnet or like some Canadian feed that I'm like, we have so many more interesting things to talk about. Why do I care? Mm-hmm. The reason I bring this up is because uh, Frederick Anderson, good to see him. Hope he's doing well. Yeah. Uh, Austin Matthews and Justin Bieber. I guess all three of them are friends or something. What? Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. But they were all Austin friends. Matthews and Justin Bieber's would be friends. They would be friends. They totally would be friends. They all, I mean, that whole like leap, they they're all in whatever. Whatever. I know very little about Justin Bieber. I'm like so out of touch with like pop culture. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, they were all wearing like they I don't know. Justin Bieber shaved his head and people were like talking about that. I was like, first of all, don't care. Anyway, all three of them are friends and they were spotted going to a UFC fight. And for some reason that was like dominating like my hockey feeds the other day. Yeah. And I was like, literally don't care. Good for them. Glad no. they're having a great time. They're like swarmed by medium. I was like, leave them alone. They just like I, got out of the playoffs. Let them go watch a UFC fight with Justin Bieber. Like let them have their time. I love love guys i didn't obviously didn't know that was going to be cat star i love that you brought that up because people on twitter were kind of making comments about the way it was covered 
Oh. At least on the ESPN side, that because they were like ESPN signs a contract with the NHL. Meanwhile, Austin Matthews is walking with Justin Bieber, and it just like literally hasn't been covered on ESPN. And everyone was like, uh, I mean, guys don't know if that's true or not. I just saw a lot of people complaining about it on Twitter. I have not watched ESPN. And I also don't really watch UFC because I don't like people hurting each other. For some reason on the ice, though, go crazy. Some reason, go for it. Totally Unless cool. you're like Tom Wilson and Ryan Reeves, in which case, hey, tone it down a bit. Yeah, yeah I just thought, I was like, there's I levels mean, to it. There's levels. Yeah. If yeah. I saw it on ESPN that they were like, Justin Bieber and his friends, Austin Matthews and Frederick Anderson went to a UFC fight or like something equitable in hmm. Canada. I'm like, I don't personally care. <laughs> Whatever you do in your downtime with Justin Bieber, up to you. You know what I think though? It's just like, and guys, right, well, I'm going to get to my third star in a second. The thing for me, it's just like, you had an opportunity to show some people that the biggest, one of the biggest pop stars in the world is with a professional hockey player. And like, that would just be really good for hockey. Cause yeah. it's like, other people are going to be like, oh, who's Austin Matthews with the Like, you know, meanwhile, they just didn't say anything. It's like, do you guys want this sport to grow? Or yeah. I'm confused. Anyway, anyway, I'll wrap it up. Sorry. I the, the reality TV energy the NHL has been giving us this year is so crazy. Anyway, third star. I just realized I really gave my first and third star to Islanders. Now I look like a heinous New Yorker. But I'm giving it to Ryan Pollock. He scored his third game-winning goal of the 2021 Stanley Cup playoffs. And in doing so, he's now only one of four defensemen in NHL history to have had more in a single postseason. So shout out Ryan Pollock. That's a really cool, another cool yet random stat. I mean, put it out there now. Sam is no longer a New York Rangers expert. She's actually a New York Islanders fan in disguise. Oh, literally sick. Suddenly I'm rooting for the Canadians. Yeah. <laughs> New York can't win, no one in America can. <laughs> My third star, we're actually really excited to talk about this. So the Columbus Blue Jackets have named their new head coach, which is Brad Larson. He was an assistant coach for a long time. John Tortorella is out. Brad Larson is in. We were very graciously granted the opportunity to attend the Columbus Blue Jackets press conference uh, with Yarmo Kakalina and John Davidson, who's the president of hockey operations, and Brad Larson announcing his position. We we do have media credentials. That's one of the hallmarks of our podcast is that we do have access to parts of the NHL that a lot of hockey podcasts don't. Um, and this is kind of the benefit of it. So we had a great time. It was really well done. Brad Larson, we are so, so excited about it. We did, you know, cover it live on our Twitter, which is listed in the description box below. So anytime we do kind of attend media events, which is, you know, every so often, uh, specifically also for NHL and, you know, PWHP and NWHL, we'll document it there. So you can follow us there to, you know, keep up with all of that. But Brad Larson, I think if you're a Columbus Blue Jackets fan, the future is bright for you. Mm -hmm. He said all the right things. He was very respectful. He was very knowledgeable. He's a little bit younger, which I also think is going to be, you know, to the Columbus Blue Jackets benefit. He has a plan and he is ready to work for it. And everything that was coming out of management's uh, position was that they are going to be a cup contender very, very soon. There's a lot of work to be done and they know that. And there's a lot of reworking in terms of roster and conditioning that has to happen. But they are excited for the future, and we are excited for Brad Larson to be a part of it. 100%. And I will say, 
the respect you could tell the respect that Brad Larson has for the organization that the organization has for him. You know, Larson has been an assistant coach on the team for seven seasons now or so. Um, the players really love him. It seems like he has a really great relationship with management, you know, and all of that. So I think that, it, like you said, if you're a Columbus fan, this is a really, really exciting beginning for you guys. And I'm excited to see the energy that Brad Larson brings. I would probably still get him on that two mile conditioning run that I know <laughs> I hate. But yeah, and I just want to like tap in the the amount that you could you can tell when he was asked about torts, you know, that he was getting a little bit emotional here and there. I just love the respect that he had from you guys. Like, yeah, and there were players in attendance to support Brad Larson. You don't always see that. And clearly, you know, you know, he referenced a couple of them. Kana Atkinson was there. And um it was just really clear to see that he has a strong relationship with the players. He has a strong relationship with management. Yarmo Kakalainen didn't say a ton, but he's not always the most like he's, he's no Jim Benning. He's not always the most verbose of, uh, you know, hockey management, but John Davidson really, really supported him. So just all in general, Brad Larson, uh, you get my third star, but Columbus, you have a star in Brad Larson. That's a terrible pun, but I had to say it anyway. Oh, cute. We are on to round three of the Stanley Cup playoffs. We went from 16 teams to four. Kat, take us off. I can't believe that we're already in round three. I feel like those Stanley Cup playoffs have both been going way too fast and have also just like are taking forever. So we want to break it down a little bit. We're going to start with the first matchup, which is the Montreal Canadiens, which was a surprise to me and a surprise to a lot of you, and the Vegas Golden Knights, which is maybe not so surprising. So we're going to go with some stats first, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the players. What I first want to touch on is goaltending and special teams. So goaltending, when you match them up, Marc-Andre Fleury, who is a Vesna finalist this year, so far in the regular season, he posted a 0.923 save percentage and had a 1.91 goals against average compared to Carey Price, playoff Carey Price. This is the regular season, but he had a 0.935 save percentage and a point or 1.97 goals against average. Both of these goaltenders are red hot right now, and they're really evenly matched. There's not going to be any sort of you know, I don't think Vegas is going to go to Leonard. Clearly, Price has been the starter in Montreal this whole time for the most part. I mean, I think here there's, I, I mean, I, I don't know how you get past either of these. A hundred percent. And I want to add in Marc-Andre Fleury, who we all know is a Vesna contender, has been doing some pretty incredible things. He earned his 89th playoff win of his career, which actually put him in fourth place for the most career playoff wins in the league history that's incredible pretty incredible i know and if he earns this is a, a really weird fun fact you guys but this one i got from nhl pr so i promise it's real if he earns four wins against the canadians in the series he would match the most career postseason victories by a quebec born goaltender over montreal Wow. So that's a okay. very, that's a very, very specific stat. But I mean, I think you're right about goalies. I think it's going to be like price and flurry. It's going to be so much fun to watch. It's going to be so much fun to watch when it comes to special teams. 
neither of the power play or the penalty kill are that exciting. Although for Montreal, they have a 90.3% penalty kill. That's pretty high. I think when it comes to that, Montreal needs to be able to shut down the Vegas offense. If they keep their defense really strong and they keep the penalty kill solid, I think that's going to be the biggest like point for them. I feel like this is a little bit of like a David and Goliath matchup. I think for them, the biggest thing is refine the game that Minnesota played. Minnesota pushed them to game seven. They played that strong defensive shut down that neutral zone, you know, almost that trap game kind of getting really close to it. If they refine that, it, but learn from Colorado's mistakes and cycle their players more, you know, kind of key Vegas on their toes when it comes to, you know, lines out on the ice and all of that and take that offensive potential to the next level. I think that they definitely have a chance. And I will say something specifically about Vegas um, that they have proved time and time again, this series, I mean, the season as a whole, but you know, the avalanche series specifically is that they can put pucks in the back of the net. They have no problem doing it, but I don't see them putting up seven against price. Like I don't anticipate that happening. So I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. Are you picking? Are you like picking? Who you I don't think, think I can pick? pick. I don't think I can pick. I will say I in spirit am really, really excited for Montreal because I think they have a ton of momentum and they have a really good mix of experience and like age. Vegas is an older team which is great on some things. I feel like that really worked in their favor against Colorado, which is Mm -hmm. by all accounts, a younger team who hasn't that much experience winning with Montreal. They have players like Eric Stahl and Corey Perry, but, and Shea Weber, but also Cole Caulfield and Katkin Yemi and Mm -hmm. Suzuki. They have this really interesting mix of players who know how to win and know how to perform in the playoffs, but also a ton of, you know, young influx of talent who are excited to be there and are really, really hot right now. I think Montreal has a better chance than some might assume. I'm not going to pick anything because literally every team that I have picked, uh, I cursed and they're not <laughs> here, so I don't want to do that to them. But I think I, I'm really excited to see Montreal in this matchup. I will say this. Montreal is looking to become the first Canadian team to reach the Stanley Cup finals since Vancouver in 2011. And actually their championship in 1993 is the last time a Canadian franchise has even won the cup. So I'm incredibly excited to watch the Canadians play and to watch them be here. That being said, it's so funny that you call the Knights like an older team because they are such a young organization, right? There, So there's actually a hundred years in between when the Golden Knights started as a franchise, which would have been 2017, 2018, and then when the Canadians would have started, which would have been 1917 and 18. So this is like the largest gap in league history. Meanwhile, it's like the, the, the Canadians are like the younger team, which is kind of funny. It's like a little bit backwards. But I don't know. I think there's a lot of guys, though, that Montreal's really got to be worried about. And I think Petrangelo is one of them. I don't know if you saw this because I only saw this today, but he became um, the fifth active defenseman with two series clinchers. And not that defense really ever doesn't get spoken about when you talk about Vegas because they have a really solid defensive core. But I want I want to watch Montreal go. I'm not going to lie. I just don't know if it's going to be Montreal, y'all. Like, that's what I want. But I don't know. They've I mean, they've shocked me that, this far. So what... Maybe I really don't know much. Exactly. I feel like they're the Dallas stars of this year's playoffs. But I think two teams that we expected to be here, 
are the New York Islanders and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Of course, mm-hmm. Tampa Bay Lightning's uh, reigning Stanley Cup champions. They seem to be going on a run. They shut down Florida in six, Carolina in five. The New York Islanders, you know, have been kind of clawing their way back to this position year after year. Mm-hmm. They ended Pittsburgh in six, Boston in six. So maybe they'll take Tampa in six. That seems to be the theme. Where are you right now in terms of the New York Islanders versus Tampa Bay matchup? So I want to say I'm actually really proud of the Islanders, which I've, I've been, this has kind of been like a reoccurring theme. I'm really, really proud of the Islanders and the way they're playing. If you look back to the 2020 Eastern conference final, their opening game with the lightning, they lost eight to two this playoffs. We saw a completely different game one. And, you know, you talk about this a lot, the Islanders that play that type tight defense force you to make all those types of mistakes and it this we got a close game so that was pretty awesome also I will say this right now the Islanders you know we talked about a little bit earlier but the Islanders are the third team in history in the history of the league to have two different goaltenders post win streaks of four more games in the same playoff year so besides the fact that the Islanders play that tight gritty game they also have like brick walls in the nets who are really helping them get there. So I don't know. I want to say the Islanders. I want to say the Islanders. Islanders in six, question mark. Islanders in six. um, You're going to make a lot of people in in New York happy, unless you're a Rangers fan like you, which I guess you're pulling for the Islanders. I guess that makes sense. You know what? I'm rooting for New York. There you go. That's a diplomatic answer. I'm going to root for New York City, not New York State. But I'll root for New York City. So those are my boys. We're neighbors. Yeah. I mean, for Tampa, they are such an exciting team to watch. I'm still a little bit uh, better about the Carolina loss, of course. But I think for the New York Islanders, I mean, I will never, ever bet against Barry Trotz. He's proven why you shouldn't do that. Um, But for the New York Islanders, I think it's going to be all about the blue line. They are not a high-scoring team the way Tampa is. They do Mm -hmm. not have that offensive potential the way that Tampa is able to generate literally every five seconds. So the blue line, if they can depress Tampa's high scoring potential, basically if they can kind of keep Tampa on the back check, so they're not able to sort of coalesce any sort of offensive move, if they can kind of keep them out of the corners, honestly, you know, not that I like dump and chase hockey, but usually when a team is kind of relying on that maneuver, it means they can't really kind of create any sort of set play if they also get them a little tired you know yeah if you can wear them out and if you can make sure that they can't get any shots on goal that's going to be the biggest thing I also think one of the places where the Islanders really shine is their ability to capitalize on forcing you to make mistakes you know what I mean so if they wear you out the second half of the game like it really might just come down to one goal Mm -hmm. each game you know because they will play hard, gritty hockey. And once you make a turnover, you know, that's where they step in. It could cost you a goal. Yeah. And I think too, if there's anything we've learned from the New York Saints comment from mm. um, the Boston Bruins. It's that the New York Islanders, they don't pull a lot of penalties, but the team that does is Tampa. We saw it in the Carolina series. If you get them frustrated specifically and think of Nikita Kucherov, if you can exacerbate Tampa Bay's physicality, and pull mm-hmm. those penalties, that's going to be huge as well. The totally. New York Islanders power play hasn't been fantastic, but if there's any time to turn it on, it's the playoffs. I think if you're going to score against Tampa, the best way to do it is with a man advantage. 100%. And I think one of the things, 
about hockey in general, especially in the playoffs, is it's all a mental game. I think we saw a lot of that with Boston. And I think the Islanders are good at getting under skin, getting, you know, in the crease and getting those garbage goals. And it's a frustrating mental game. I know they're probably all chirping down there anyway, now that fans and stuff are back. But I think that's one of the part of the aspects of playoffs that maybe doesn't get talked about enough is that there is this, this mental capacity to it that I think the Islanders are just good at getting in teams' heads. Yeah, I agree. The one place where Tampa can really, really excel. I think if we're ever seeing a game where it's Tampa's like a three or four to like one or two goals, I think it's maybe a clear indication that like Tampa's probably going to take that game. Again, some teams can fall behind like two or even three goals in a game and it's still within reach. You know, Carolina's like that, Colorado, Vegas. The New York Islanders are not. So I think the it's definitely going to be a series where we see like that first or second goal is going to be the one that wins it if Mm. the New York Islanders are driving that style of play. If they are in control of the game, I think that's how the scoring is going to fall. I will say out of, you know, out of all four teams, I think that these are the two teams that we can expect to see to go to overtime the most. I think they're going to be the tighter of the games. And I think it's really going to come down to these one goal, two goal games. They're going to keep it tight. I think we're going to see a lot of overtime. I still can't get over that, like, like quadruple or like fifth Mm -hmm. overtime that we saw last year. Hopefully that Mm -hmm. never happens. (laughs) But I think if you're going to watch a series, this is it. Because you have two teams with two very different on-ice narratives and identities going up against each other. They've met before. They're both used to the playoffs. Tampa Bay wants to win it again. They're going to be fighting for it. This is going to be a great matchup to tap into. All right, everybody. The Seattle Kraken can now sign eight-year extensions from the expansion draft but they can sign UFAs for only about seven years. So the Seattle Kraken, as July is approaching, they are starting to kind of get together what their plans might be and have some ideas for their roster. So July 17th, protected lists are revealed. So then we'll have some more insight into what teams are protecting which players, who they're going to be keeping on, who they might want to sign, you know, off the unprotected list. Mm -hmm. And then on July 21st, Seattle reveals their expansion picks from those protected lists. So for anyone who is a UFA and is unprotected, Seattle can negotiate with them exclusively up until that July 21st deadline. So that means that there's going to be some high profile players who are testing the UFA market that Seattle can sign to a long-term contract. I mean, seven years is a big deal as a max contract that, you know, they might be taking a pick from your favorite team that you might not have expected to sign elsewhere. So we really wanted to cover the UFAs and that upcoming Seattle expansion draft because this is going to be the big news as soon as the NHL playoffs come to an end. So let's talk a little bit. Let's start with the expansion draft and then we'll move on to UFAs. So guys, in case you don't know before we started this conversation, UFAs are unrestricted free agents, okay? They're free to sign with any team their previous team will receive no compensation, right? So with the expansion draft, it's a little different. So the Kraken is going to be required to choose 14 forwards, nine defensemen, three goalies, and that's at the minimum. They'll After that, they'll have the remaining four spots and they can fill that with any position that they like. Basically what's going to happen in the expansion draft is 
the Kraken are going to pick one player off every team with the exception of the Golden Knights. And the 30 players that they end up picking and drafting must earn at least 60% of next season's 81.5 million salary cap limit, which is important. Remember that we're going to talk about a little bit of that before we end the show. So when it comes to the top UFAs to keep an eye on, there are, I mean, this is a big year and it's a little bit exciting. So the first one I want to talk about is one of my favorite players. And you know, of course, is coming from the Carolina Hurricanes, Dougie Hamilton. Currently he has, oh, what is that? A $5 million cap? He's a defenseman for the Carolina Hurricanes. He's been the leading goal scorer for defensemen in general for four years, even with his broken leg last season, which had him out uh, for a considerable amount of time. So in this 2021 regular season, he played 55 regular season games. He had 10 goals, 32 assists, for a total of 42 points and a plus 20 rating. Dougie Hamilton, he's already said that they've tabled contract talks until the offseason. You know, the big question here is, is he going to sign an extension with Carolina or is he somebody that Seattle is going to pick up? Because if he's unprotected and he's a UFA and he's not signed with Carolina by the time Seattle has their ability to take him, I think he would definitely be a good pickup for the Kraken. I want to say this right now. If Dougie Hamilton does not end up staying in Carolina, I am personally going to be very sad. I've loved watching him get to play for Carolina. I think he's been a great leader there. And I, I think he's really excelled there on the ice. Um, I mean, you know, his, cam- his comments have been a little out of pocket lately, but, you know, that's a different conversation. I just think his identity and the team's identity, the way he plays, the way the team plays, I think they align really well. Do I think it would great, be an awesome pick for the crack? And I honestly think any team that ended up with Dougie Hamilton would be lucky That being said, I really would love to see him stay with Carolina. I don't know about you. I mean, I'm sure you would. You guys know Kat loves Carolina. I love Carolina. And there's so many Carolina players who are on the UFA list right now um, that it's honestly crazy. But Dougie Hamilton especially, I think if he doesn't resign with Carolina, A, it would be a mistake on Carolina's parts. And and B, you'd really miss him in the lineup. I think he is so essential on that blue line. And he makes such a big impact. Even if he isn't getting a point in that game, although, I mean, look at his stats from the season, he's clearly very capable of generating offensive power and kind of picking up those points. So mm-hmm. I think all around, he's a great defenseman, and I would be so sad to see him go. The other defenseman on the list, there's a lot of defensemen, um, is from the Edmonton Oilers, and that is Tyson Berry. I loved him in Colorado and Edmonton. He's definitely been better than he has been in a really long time. It's got like around a $3 million cap hit for the Oilers. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's one thing we've learned from the playoffs, it's that Edmonton needs to rework their roster. And so it does leave a lot of questions about Barry's position in the lineup, his strengths line, special teams, um, you know, and offensive potential. He was ranked seventh in points among defensemen since 2014. But is that what Edmonton needs? You know, will they bring him back or Do they have other players on their roster who satisfy what he can bring to the table and more? So another Edmonton player, we have Ryan Nugent Hopkins. He's about a 6 million cap hit. That's, you know, pretty big. A lot of talks about extensions, but nothing yet. And I think that's a sign, the fact that he hasn't yet signed an extension with uh, Edmonton, even though they've been kind of talking about it for a couple of months now. He ranks 14th in the NHL in power play points since the 2018-2019 season. 42.1% of his points come from the power play. So that's pretty significant. 
you know, just like Tyson Berry, he's another special teams player, Mm -hmm. which maybe kind of uh, is a sign for the Oilers that you need to pick and choose what players you keep around and maximize each player's potential as much as possible. You don't need two or three guys who can satisfy that same role. You need one or two guys to be able to do a bunch of things really, really well at once. I do think Ryan Nugent Hopkins is a pretty, you know, well-rounded player. Mm -hmm. I think he might stay in Edmonton, but maybe with Edmonton being out of the playoffs early again this year, maybe that's changed his position on it. My thing about Nugent Hopkins is that, I mean, and I don't want this to get misinterpreted in any way. I think he's a really incredible player. Um, But that being said, I do think the Oilers have a lot of work to do. I don't know if it would be the smartest thing to put all their money into one player like that. I do think they need to rework their roster. I really think they need to figure out why it's not working, why it's not clicking, especially with with the team that they have. Not sure if I think Nugent Hopkins would be a great pick for them. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, he does have a minus four, you know, ending this regular season, 35 Mm -hmm. points, 52 games. We'll see what happens with that. Whether he signs, uh, you know, with Seattle, he signs with Edmonton. I think it'll be interesting. And I think Nugent Hopkins will be, you know, one of those players who will want to do better next year for sure. Maybe this was a down year for him. Yeah, but I and I also want to just add to before we wrap this up, you know, he's 28 years old. If he, I'm suspecting he's going to sign anywhere from a six to eight year deal for what you're paying, you know, for him as a player, by the time this ends, he's going to be 35, 36 years old. I just think it's important that when we talk about this, we do remember like guys like this are going to sign longer contracts and it's when they're bigger contracts, it's, it's a big buy-in for a team. So no, just something to think about a little bit. That's just me. No, that's such a good note. We don't want another Zach Parise contract, although he was good in the playoffs <laughs> in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Philip Grubauer, one of our favorites. Best oh, player. let's. I know let's you talk about Grubauer. Talk about him. I mean, for Colorado, <laughs> he has like one of the most interesting cap hits because it's three million, three 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 three. Like, <laughs> like I don't know. I think I don't know what was that with that. Whatever. He's a goalie for Colorado. Vesna finalist, uh, six high save percentage in NHL history among goalies with at least 100 games played. And, and that's a pretty big benchmark to hit as a goalie. Mm-hmm. He's been awesome for them during the playoffs. He was great for them uh, during the regular season. I would assume that Colorado brings him back. But for Colorado, they have a bunch of big ticket players that they want to sign this year, you know, and a lot of entry level contracts that are expiring. You know, think of players mm-hmm. like Kale McCarr, Sam Gerrard. They have to sign Landis Scott, who's also UFA. For Colorado, they might want to bring him back, but they might not have the money to do so. You know, I was just about to say that. I think I could be incorrect about this. I am 97% sure, you guys. The Avalanche, I'm pretty sure, are going to be entering the offseason of 16 unrestricted free agents. I mean, that's like, that's more than half their roster. That's a lot. And, you know, Landeskog is one of those guys, and Grubauer is also another one of those guys. It's a, That's a lot of money. It's like a lot of money, you know? Yeah. So for Grubauer and with goalies, goalies, I think are a little bit harder to predict in terms of, you know, contract status, because I think for them, your last game that you started in is what people remember. It's, mm-hmm. you know, people don't necessarily look at your regular season or your playoff save percentage. What did you do in that last game? And that's really the deciding factor. And goalies, who knows? I mean, uh, Teams are so funny about them. 
I know. And I, you know what does kind of bum me out about this? I, you know, I, I, like we always do, we do research for this episode and it was, um, I'm pretty sure it was CBS sports that had a headline. It was something along the lines of that. He had an unimpressive elimination game, basically that he didn't look good in that final game. And that's like kind of a bummer because he did, he just had such a great season. It was so fun to get to watch him play. I think we also kind of forget his age a little bit. He's like on the younger side of it when it comes to at least the Vesna finalists, you know? So I want Grubauer to end up with an avalanche. I really, really hope they have the money for him. If they don't, someone is getting an incredible goalie, you guys, because I think he was a really big part of Colorado's success this year. And I, no matter where he goes, he's going to kill it. I know it. He, yeah, I, I can agree more. Zach Hyman is a really interesting player. I love him for Toronto. He's about a $2 million cap hit. That's, you mm-hmm. know, considering Toronto, that's not bad at all. That's a steal. I feel like for Hyman, he is the unsung hero of the Leafs. He's consistent. He's solid. He makes the players around him better. And he's made better by being on a line with Marner and Matthews. And in the playoffs, you know, to a lot of Leafs fans' uh, chagrin, he was the best player on that line for a lot of those games. I agree. For me, I think it would be a total backslide for the Leafs if he wasn't re-signed. Okay. And you know what? I completely agree with you. I really, really do. But I don't think that they're going to. And I think it's because of the way that he produced this year. I feel like they're just not going to have the money to do it. Meanwhile, I mean, he, I, the guy can put up 20 goals a year, you know, but look at look at who he's playing with. Look at what those contracts are worth. I mean, I think they have four forwards making like combined. It's like $40 million or something crazy like that, you know. So I don't think that he's going to end up in Toronto. I really don't. I don't think they're going to have the money to make it work because I just don't like, I don't, who's, I don't know. I don't, who else, who are you going to get rid of? Not off, off, not Austin Matthews. Yeah. Arner, exactly. You know? So I think when you look at it, big picture, I, I, I don't think he's going to end up there. Yeah. I, I, I hope he stays because I really do like him on that team. But again, if he goes, it, it may not be because they want him like, you know, get them out. And and that's what does happen a lot, a lot of times, you know, teams will, you know, put somebody on waivers or whatever. And you're like, they're a good player. Like we really like them for them. A lot of times it's not because they want to get rid of that player. It's because financially they can't hold on to them. And so mm-hmm. for Zach Hyman, it, it may just be, you know, one of those things where they would like to bring him back. He'd like to be brought back, but you know, monetarily, they just can't do it. Yeah. The next player we want to talk about is David Krejci. He mm-hmm. has a huge cap hit for Boston at $7 million. Yes, he, he is 35 years old. He is an older player on a team that's been getting older. This is like the team of dads, I think. Boston totally. and Washington are just older teams. I, Boston's been successful, clearly, mm-hmm. uh, this year. But I personally don't think that they are going to get another cup without a younger influx of talent and some reworking. And Krejci, I think, and he even... He's even said a couple times, you know, he's thinking about it, whether or not he'll re-sign with Boston or he will sign with the Czech Republic. He's from the Czech Republic and, you know, he wants to end his career there playing in the Czech League. So for Krejci, it's less of a conversation about will Seattle pick him up because Seattle wouldn't based on like how much he's worth and how old he is in his production this year. Mm. But it's more of a question of, is he going to sign a short-term contract, a one or two year deal with Boston, 
or is he going to sign with the Czech Republic's and it is the end of the line for David Krejci for a really long and illustrious career in the NHL. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny that you make the dad's comment, right? Because it really is. It's like Boston and Washington. And I think we're going to see that identity shift in Boston. I think we actually are watching it right now. Um, I mean, look at former captain Zidane Ojara, right? Like, I think the team is getting to move on to a different generation of hockey. I'm not sure if that's going to involve 35-year-old David Krejci. You know, he has talked about wanting to play in the Czech Republic, but he did talk in a press conference on June 11th about, you know, you brought this up, not really wanting to see, he doesn't see himself playing anywhere else. So I think if the Bruins can make it work, I think he'll stay. But I part of me kind of feels like if he's not with the Bruins and he's not in love with where he would end up going, that he's going to leave to go to the Czech Republic. I don't think this is going to be one of those four or five, six year contracts. You know, it's not like what we're looking at, but that being said, he, he had a great season. So he does deserve to be paid. It's just what the teams can afford to do mm-hmm. with what they're working with and what they want to do. Yeah. This is not like a Zidane Chara moment. And for Boston in general, Tuka Rask is also a UFA. He has just, or is undergoing surgery right now mm-hmm. for a labrum tear, I believe. He is another one of those players who it's a question of, will he resign in Boston or will he retire? Same with Yaroslav Halak, also a UFA. They're both older. Is he going to retire or is he going to resign a short level contract with Boston? Prior to surgery, I would have said Rask is going to retire. I don't know yet. He might come back for a year or two. I think Halak's done. And yeah, honestly, I, I, think, I think so too. I think he's done. Good for him. I mean, Tuka Rask has been telegraphing that he plans to retire soon for the past couple of years. It's something that he's talked about and he also has said he does not want to be anywhere else but Boston this is where he wants to finish his career I think it really just depends on again you're totally right what does Boston want to pay them Mm -hmm. and does Boston just want to move on and kind of and and kind of cut ties now and and really invest in that new generation I mean yeah they I mean look at look at their history in the last 10 years, it's been pretty incredible. Just 10 years alone, you know, they have it there. They're a very rich organization with history, but I just, even in the last 10 years, they've like built such a name for themselves. They've, we've seen them playoffs throughout the years. I, it just, you know, it might be time for them to have that shift. And I think with that shift, at least in the next couple of years, these types of contracts are ones that we aren't going to see re-signed. That's just my opinion. Nick Felino, this is a really, really interesting one. He's about a $5 million cap hit for Toronto and Columbus. So he was a trade deadline rental to the Leafs. Question is, does he re-sign in Columbus? I would be really surprised if he re-signed with the Leafs, to be fair. I mean, that's obviously not off the table, mm-hmm. but I would be personally pretty surprised. Um, for Columbus, again, we were just in that press conference. It didn't come up. It was kind of one of those times. It wasn't really the time to ask those sorts of questions. But with Brad Larson as the new head coach, he has, you know, he, he talked about there, there's going to be some changes and they're really going to kind of look critically at the roster and their trajectory and build a team for winning. Mm-hmm. With Line A and Jones to contend with, along with, again, those off-season changes. 
I am really curious to figure out if Felino returning to Columbus is part of this new narrative that Columbus is trying to build mm-hmm. or if Felino goes to Seattle. I think Felino goes to Seattle. So I was, I'm so happy you brought that up because we have talked about this on the show. We talked about it when he went to Toronto. We were like, mm-hmm. imagine, oh, it's so sad to see him leave Columbus. And then we were like, imagine he went back. Imagine it's just temporary because Columbus really loved him as a player. He really loved Columbus. I don't feel like he necessarily wanted to leave. So do I like the narrative of him going back to Columbus? Yes. I agree with you though. I do think there's a very good chance he ends up in Seattle. And if he doesn't, I don't think he's going to end up back in Toronto. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think the way Toronto, Toronto has a lot of off-season problems and signings mm-hmm. and money issues. I mean, that is a continuing narrative for them. I don't think Felino is a top priority. Mm-hmm. I agree. And with Columbus, they are trying to move on to a different era of the Blue Jackets. I don't think bringing back Felino is a step in the right direction for them. So I think he goes to Seattle or he goes elsewhere. Paul Stastny is the next one we have to talk about. Winnipeg, he's got a pretty high cap hit. I was yeah. surprised. It's about $6 million. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for Winnipeg, it was a great start to their offseason or postseason, excuse me. And then a not so great end. Uh, they right. swept and then got swept. Um, Paul Stastny, I mean, he's been good. You know, solid on faceoffs. He can score. He's flexible in positioning. Winnipeg kind of had them, you know, floating around center, you know, right wing, left wing, whatever. He adds a lot of depth to the team. And I think especially, I would say even, I think in the playoffs, having him return to that lineup after everything that happened with Shifley, I I do think that he like does contribute well. I did not realize it was 6 million though. Did not realize that. I'm not going to lie. I think if we weren't looking at his cap hit, the Mm -hmm. question would be, of course, Winnipeg brings Paul Stastny back because you're right. He does provide some much needed depth. He provides mm-hmm. like kind of a centering presence. You know, it's, he has he's also experience. got the, Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. He's got that age to him, right? I'm pretty sure he's about 35 or so. And, and I think that's like a little bit important too. We just talked about age. Like I think the guys that are older, their contracts and where they can go are much limited. And I think it's really difficult especially when you have so much skill this year, the UFAs are insane. And then on top of the UFAs, you had the expansion draft. I mean, it's going to be a crazy summer. It's going to be a crazy off season, but I don't know. It's like, it's really the age thing that gets me because a lot of the younger guys are going to be moved around because of all of the contracts that are up. And I don't see his being like the first one that teams are ready to jump and give him six mil for at his age. Yeah. People are going to think I'm like, people are going to think I'm ageist, but I'm not. You just, it's like a long-term investment, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's how the the teams are looking at these guys as investments because they are, they're investing them into, you know, they're whatever. So they are. So I, you know, age is really important. I mean, look at the list that we've brought up tonight. All of these guys, we're, we're, you know, we're a little bit more than halfway done with, with our UFAs and look at the names we've put up all night. Like, I don't think a, like a 35 year old player will be. It's just, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think they're a priority, especially with Menopeg's, you know, they have to, they have to deal with, uh, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois 
and they have like other, it's a lot. I don't think Paul Stastny is for that amount of money. I don't think he's a priority. He costs a ton, but that also means that Winnipeg kind of might be stuck with him because the other question is, will Seattle take them? This isn't saying like, if they're a UFA, Seattle's going to take them. Seattle could not take them. And then Winnipeg is still, or whoever still has that, you know, contract. Oh, a hundred percent. But I will say this, Seattle is going to need depth, you know, like they are going to need those older guys who have that leadership experience, who know what they're doing, who can sign a shorter term contract, you know, but who will be able to lead the team in the locker room and on the ice and have that experience of playing in the playoffs and, and all of that. So they will need guys like that. I don't know if he'll fill that role for them, like you're saying. So it might, he might have to consider renegotiating his price if teams are very busy picking up and spending their money on other available players. Yeah. This, we have two more UFAs to talk about. This is the most interesting one for me. Mm-hmm. Ryan a very interesting laugh. one. Yeah. Ryan gets laugh. I think he might be the oldest, if not one of the oldest on this list. I know we've been talking about a lot of age a lot tonight. He also has the highest cap hit. He has an $8 million cap hit for the Anaheim Ducks. This is super fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. The Ducks have been struggling which is sad because I'm from California and I want all the California teams to succeed. However, I feel like the Ducks are starting to get ready to take that next step with all of the young talent they've been developing. Mm -hmm. And I think they're kind of ready to move on to that future and sort of reshape their narrative. I don't know if Ryan Getzlaff, who's currently their captain, if he is going to stick around and sign a short-term deal, short-term deal, like on his end, or if the Ducks are going to say, you know what, Ryan, it's been great. We've paid you a lot of money. You've been awesome. We are ready to move on. Mm-hmm. Kind of go into the future and move on from, because the captain, you know, we've seen a lot of teams move on from their captain and totally reshape their identity. I think this might be one of the moments where the Ducks say, you know what, it's time to, you know, take another step in a different direction. And he, you know, to be fair, the Ducks season wasn't great yeah. this year, but he did end the regular season with a minus 14 and 43 penalty minutes. Yeah. To that's... Speak of with five goals and 12 assists for 17 points. And he's a center. That's not great. And he's 36. And he's 36. That's not a good, that I don't usually like to be the one to say that's not a good record because, you know, sports and, and hockey is so much more about like the stats sheet, but that's not a good record. And for that amount of money and the role that he's supposed to define for the team, that is not good enough. And, you know, what's kind of like, I don't want to say funny to me, but, uh, you know, in doing my reading, I, I read that, you know, coach Murray had talked to AP press and he quoted, he quotes, he said, he obviously, he's obviously at the point of his career where he needs to take a little step back and see what's best for his family and what he thinks his role can be, end quote. He later said, quote, we discussed roles on the hockey team. Ryan and I discussed a whole bunch of things and we will continue to have discussions, end quote. First of all, one of the most hockey coach answers I've personally ever heard in my life, like so ridiculous. It kind of sounds like he's thinking of stepping away, 
Like that's how I read it. I think if he stays, he will stay in Anaheim for a very short period of time. I don't think he would want to up from that. That makes me feel like he probably doesn't want to up and move his family to literally go play for a season or two. So he should probably just do it with Anaheim if that's what he wants to do. So maybe they can come to an agreement on something. I don't see Getzloff, you know, being picked by Seattle personally. Uh, And I don't, I I feel like they might just protect him because it's their captain and keep him around for another year or two and then try and make some trades and make some moves. Mm -hmm. That's what I think might be one of the best things that they could do. I think getting rid of your captain in the middle of an expansion draft year is like ballsy as hell, honestly. Um, But we, I'm sure we'll see other teams do it too. So I don't know. I think he should stay with Anaheim, even though he's not producing in terms of his career. I think it would be best for him. I don't know if they're going to protect him though. Yeah. So we have our, our last UFA to talk about, and this is, well, well, we'll save it. So Jamie Alexiak, he's got a $2 million cap hit for the Dallas Stars. He is a defenseman. I wish you all could see our show notes because I literally just wrote big boy in all caps. That man is so large. It's crazy. But for all of that physicality that he has, just because he is a fridge with legs. Literally. Literally. He's, he's a clean player. Like he really, you know, he's not taken, I mean, it's 35 penalty minutes, but that's pretty standard for a lot of defensemen. Dougie Hamilton had the same Tyson Berry Mm -hmm. was around the same as well. Um, You know, he, he doesn't cross a line ever and I think Mm -hmm. he also is able to generate like a pretty good amount of offensive you know potential or whatever like I think he is so much more present for the Dallas Stars than you would think if you just Mm. like looked at the stats sheet I think he's a very reliable defenseman Mm -hmm. too I just want to add that like and because he's so big I think he's pretty good about like it's like a positioning thing, you know? So he might not be doing things that are recognizable on the stat sheet, but I think in a lot of ways, he was very important for their their defensive success, you know? Mm-hmm. Totally. And when I think of the Dallas Stars, I think of defense. Mm-hmm. You no, know, they have a really, really strong blue line. He's played his best for Dallas. Mm-hmm. I He's a hard one for me because I could see Seattle totally picking him. I think he'd be a steal for Seattle. Mm -hmm. And I think he'd play really, really well there. But I think for Dallas, who did struggle this season, it would kind of be a bummer if they didn't bring him back because I don't think he's done yet in Dallas. And I think this year may have been kind of an off year. It was an off year for everyone. It was an off year for the world, quite frankly. Uh You know, Alexia, I think, you know, for Dallas, if they brought him back, he'd be great. He'd be a great pick. You know, I think personally, I think that he's I mean, maybe arguably, but I think he might be one of, the, I think he might be their best defenseman. That's my opinion. Yeah, I'll cop to that. I mean, I don't watch the Dallas Stars a lot of often, like to be perfectly honest with you, but like, I, I would agree with that. I think Jamie Alexiak yeah. is, I think he is so much better than he is often given credit for. A hundred percent. I would, I would like to see him stay in Dallas personally. I don't, know if I feel like I've said this about everything guys clearly I don't know anything we're just talking but uh I don't know if they will protect him I think they would be a little dumb not to though I don't know I guess we're gonna have to see especially you said he was valued at what was it around two million 
Yeah, I feel like signing, I think if, I don't know if the Stars are going to be able to sign him for anything over one. No, that's the other thing. I think if they, I think if Dallas does, I think, I think he goes to Seattle personally. I think if Dallas brings him back, it's for a lesser amount, which mm-hmm. for some players, and I don't want to speak for Jamie Alexia because I do not know him personally. For some players, they don't want to do that. Yeah. They don't want to sign a lesser contract with the same team. A lot of players don't want to. Again, he might be totally fine with that. He may want to stay in Dallas and, and would be totally content doing that. I would get why he wouldn't, though, want to. I mean, I think like, he's worth like, more if, than that. Yeah. If your work is being valued at one thing, you know, you most people paid for that, like any of these guys out here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that he has, though, on this list that not a lot, of, a lot of other guys have is his age. He's young. He's like a really, really young guy. And I think he was... I mean, clearly shining on the stars, literally no pen intended. I'm so embarrassed, you guys. But I really do think he he had played a really important role on that team. He's so young. I think it, it would be a good investment for them. But if they don't, someone else is going to pick them up. Mm-hmm. I agree. So we're going to keep track of like all of these offseason movements, especially as the NHL playoffs sadly come to an end really really soon this is the kind of content you can expect from us in the off season because this is what's going to be making headlines and these are some narratives that we are so interested in keeping our eye on okay so you guys know every single week we have our hockey community highlight where we're highlighting someone in the hockey community who's helping to make it a better place and this week it's a little less of a person and a little more of a thing we want to shout out pride tape which I'm sure if you guys have been watching the NHL, you've seen a lot of players have on their sticks. It's just really a badge to show support from teammates and coaches, parents, pros, and to all young LGBTQ plus players that there's a place for them in the sport and that we have their back. Proceeds from the sale of Pride Tape also helped to support LGBTQ plus teams and leagues. What I love about Pride Tape is that on their website, they give actionable resources for allies within sports specifically to get more involved. Wrapping your stick in Pride Tape is awesome. And it's great. We love to see it. But challenging everyday homophobia and transphobia and working actively to make your language and your actions as inclusive as possible is essential. We didn't just want to talk about Pride Tape. There are a ton of LGBTQIA plus specific hockey organizations and leagues and amateur level around North America for you to get involved in if that's something that interests you. So there is going to be a link in the description box to a page where you can find a whole bunch of teams around the US and Canada that are LGBTQIA plus specific in case you're interested in joining them and accessing that community. If you want to get in touch with us, feel free to shoot us an email at balltalkers.offtheice at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at offtheice. All contact info will be listed in the description box of the episode. Until next time, I'm Sam. I'm Kat. And thanks for joining us on Off the Ice. Have a beautiful week.